If you're new to Grace Church, it's our habit to study through books of the Bible. We are in the midst of a study in the book of Romans. Um, and if you haven't been with us and desire to, uh, the, uh, the sermons up to this point are on the website. And you can, you can catch up that way. But we are, I'm going to read from 7.21 to 8.4. And then we're going to look at eight, really 8.2 to 8.4. Um, remembering what we said uh, in brief form about verse 1 last week. But uh, let's read from 721 as we see Paul's <clears throat> putting forth his relationship to the law and then the fact of no condemnation, and we'll go from there. But in verse 21 it says this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. <clears throat> but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and make me cap making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Thus far God's word. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, your church, your redemption. We pray that you would take your word, that your spirit would apply it to our hearts, that you would work faith in us and unite us to Christ if we don't know Christ, that you would grow us in grace that we do, that we would reverence you and reverence your word and reverence this time in your word, realizing that it is the primary means of grace. So bless me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Truly, accurately, clearly. Bless us to hear it as your word with devotion and dedication to understand it and to live in its light. Lord, we look to you. Unless you build the house, we labor in vain. We look to you to build your house, to build your church, to do your work in each and every single heart that you would be furthering your kingdom as your word goes forth, building your church. We ask for it, lean into it, trust you for it. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. You are the light of the world. You might say, no, that's Jesus. Well, yes, it is Jesus. He is the light of the world. But it is also you in Him. He says this of you. Listen, if you're trusting Jesus Christ this morning, He says this of you. His disciple. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. How? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So that they might see you joyfully obeying God and that you might tell them why you're joyfully obeying God. Lips in life. But you see, you are the light of the world. You are a gospel lamp. 
Notice he doesn't say, be one of these, be this, strive to be this. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Therefore, our response represented well in a children's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I promise I won't start singing. <laughs> some of you may have wondered why this lamp is sitting. In fact, I know some of you have wondered why this lamp is sitting up here. It's not because I can't see and need more light, although that might be true. Imagine you go to a thrift store and you buy a lamp and it's dirty and crusty and a raggedy shade and it doesn't work, right? But you purchase that lamp for yourself and you take that lamp home and you clean that lamp up and you replace the wire and the, the, the socket and the bulb. You give it a nice new shade. That lamp's ready to give light. What's wrong? I bought it. I own it. I rebuilt it. Everything's new. Even the outside is cleaned up a bit. What does that lamp need in order to burn? Power. It needs power. So I only not only have to buy the lamp, I have to buy the power for the lamp in order for it to let its little light shine and give light to the house. And so it'd be kind of silly to buy the lamp, take it home, set it on the floor, let the dog play with this, and think it's going to light, right? Unless you're Uncle Fester. Some of y'all will get that and some of you won't. Adam's family. He used to put a bulb in his mouth and it would come on. But see, once connected to the power, this renewed lamp gives light and those are the two elements we'll see as we look into the text today if you saw the title forgiven and empowered and according to the question category you'll see that a renewed and enabled that's what we'll bring out as we look at this today but first, a little context. We've seen Paul in the book of Romans express his love for the Roman Christians and desire to go there. He has shown in writing this letter and in expanded treatment of the gospel, he, show, he showed first that all are lost and need a Savior. None can save themselves. And then he pointed us to Christ, justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, who lived to provide a perfect righteousness and died to pay the penalty for our sin. That we are declared righteous before the judgment bar of God. Legal declaration through faith and faith alone in Christ and Christ alone. And we began in chapter 6 laying the foundations of our sanctification. Being justified in Christ Jesus. Now we're getting a good teaching on what it means to grow in grace in Him. So the theology of sanctification in, in 6, 1 through 11, uh, the, the, the good news of being set, setting free from being a slave from sin, and then the fact that we've been released from the law, right? And we talked about in what way we had been released, from the law as a mirror, the law as a condemning judge, as a covenant of works, if you prefer that language, the law as the way that we're going to make ourselves right with God. The law shows us how far we fall short so that we'll turn and trust in Christ alone. So we're free from the condemnation of the law. Paul's shown us from his own experience, both before Christ and in Christ, his relationship to the law. And I just have to point you back to those sermons. And he ended up in chapter 7 with, with this renewed you know, struggle. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. So that almost sounds like God just leaves us in a tie. Renewed spirit, fallen body, canceling each other out. Just grit it, that's the way it's going to be, right? Well, no, he began in chapter 8. Now he's taking a transition as we still are talking about sanctification. He's going to point us to living in the Spirit. What it means to walk in the Spirit. 
And that's where we are today. Power for new life. We are the fact that we're not only renewed, but enabled. So the main point is we look at 8, 1 to 4. And again, I'm not re-preaching the sermon on chapter one, uh, verse 1. I point you back to that from last week. Just a reminder of it. But it's part of the structure here, so I, I need to show that to you. But the main point of this section is that I want you to take home is to personalize this, right? Jesus died to both purchase you for himself and to empower you for new life. So within that purchase, as we illustrated, he purchased, renewed, and empowered. In Christ, first point, in Christ I am forgiven and empowered. Verses 1 and 2. In Christ, I am forgiven and empowered. In Christ, I enjoy a new status. The status we talked about last week, justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, where God calls us righteous. And here's sort of the flip way of saying that. He said in verse 1, There is therefore, or therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in union with Jesus Christ. We talked about it in chapter 6, early part of that chapter. That we've been united to Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. We've died. We're hidden with Him, right? In Him. Clothed in Him. A lot we've said about that. I'll point you back. But the new status in Christ is one of righteous or, as Paul said, no condemnation. But if you want to dig deep into that, look at the sermon from last week where we, where we talked only about that one verse and no condemnation. But as a way of review, let's just remember our question on justification. What is justification? What was Paul talking about in chapters 3 through 5? What did he summarize in verse 1 uh, as a sort of foundational place we stand if we're going to walk in the spirit of the living, of God, living God? What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So see, there's two elements. We're cleansed and clothed. We're pardoned, forgiven for all of our sin. Our record is wiped clean of all of our sin, but it's not just left blank. Christ's record of perfect righteousness is credited to our account. And on that basis, He declares us righteous. He's uni- we've been united by the Spirit through faith to, to Christ. And He declares us righteous. He adopts us into His family and begins at that point sanctifying us. So in justification, we're trusting in Christ and being united to Christ and therefore we're pardoned for all of our sins and accepted as righteous in the sight of God. It's that courtroom declaration, that legal verdict that we've talked about. So the first result of being in Christ is no condemnation. The second result of being in Christ is new power. New power. You see, the verdict and then the power. Verdict in verse 1, power in verse 2. Look at verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Do you see that parallel structure there between verse 1 and verse 2 where in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, no condemnation, in Christ Jesus, freedom and power in verse 2. Look at it there. It says the law, and we've talked about this a bit, how Paul uses the word law. He doesn't always use the word law in in the same way. Sometimes when he says law, he means the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments. Sometimes when he says law, he means a principle, right? Or he could mean a power. So he uses it in very different ways. And what we're seeing here, that in Christ Jesus, not only are we cleansed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ and therefore declared not guilty, but we're also in Christ Jesus, it says, the law of the Spirit of life, the power of The reign of the Spirit, the power. I mean, you could say principle, but I think it's pointing at the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit working in our lives to give us life, eternal life, has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law 
of sin resulting in death, from the power of sin resulting in death. So we're, we're, we are completely set free, trusting in Christ, we're completely set free from the law's power to condemn us. Right? We are being set free from its power to rule us as far as how we flesh this out. But look what he says there. The two, the two things pointed out of being in Christ Jesus is an, a verdict of no condemnation and a power, a spirit of life. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Okay, and I've mentioned this question before, but this is kind of our, our new question to be working on, the sanctification question, number 35 in the Shorter Catechism. What is sanctification? So we're talking about justification. That's when we come to faith in Christ and we're declared righteous on the basis of Christ. We're, we're, as Southerners, we like to say this is when we got saved, right? Salvation is bigger than justification, but that's just the way we talk sometimes. But then at that point, when God brings us into his family, he begins transforming us into the image of Christ. He breaks the power of sin over us early in chapter 6. We saw that. And then he begins transforming us into the image of Christ. So look at this very helpful definition of sanctification. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are first, and I've highlighted two words here. We are not on your slide, but you can highlight them with your pen. Uh, if you have it in your bulletin. Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. See that renewal aspect? And are enabled. Now this, this is, there's some encouragement for us at the end of this verse. Because we like Paul, we, if we have a new heart, we want to obey the law perfectly. And we look at our lives and we say we're discouraged because we're not doing that. Right? We're not glorified yet. Okay, so look at this. We're enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. And we're going to talk about putting sin to death as we move forward in chapter 8. More about sanctification, more about walking in the Spirit. But look at that definition. Two things happen. What is sanctification? We're renewed and we're enabled. We are renewed in our, after the image of God and enabled to grow in grace, to grow in practicing righteousness which we'll see defined more for us in a minute. That for right there, Paul uses the little word for, and if you, if you were to mark it as we're going through chapter Romans, you see four, 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 all over the place. He's just using that to step out his argument. He's using it in a few different ways, but it's not, the, it's not just the strict technical definitions that you find in classical Greek. The time we get into Koine Greek, sometimes this word just functions as a coordinating conjunction, like and, Right? Or to explain sometimes, which we'll see. So he's, but you see him connecting up his argument with this little word. And so he, he's, he's connected verse 1 to verse 2 with 4 and told us about our being renewed and enabled and connected that back to verse 1 with verse 2. So Paul's using, explaining that, telling us that the law of the spirit of life, the power of the spirit has set us free in Christ Jesus from the reign and law and power of sin resulting in death. So our two, our two realities of being in Christ, we have a new verdict, no condemnation, and we have power at work in our lives and for our life, the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be sanctified. So when you, when you just a little quick review, when you see that word salvation, you need to know how it's being used in Scripture. Sometimes it's talking about when we first come to faith. Sometimes it's talking about as we're growing in grace. Sometimes it's talking about when that work is finished. So within that word of salvation, or you can say three words, justification, sanctification, glorification. Right? And in this text, we're talking about the first two. We know it'll be finished when Christ returns and we're like Him. No condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. Freedom from the, from the bondage to sin and the results of it, death, if you're in Christ Jesus. The Spirit is powerfully at work in you and you have new power for life, which the Spirit is producing in you by the work of God's grace. Now look, if you will, 
There's another little word here. Another little four at the beginning of verse three. What this is doing is, is, I don't want to, is connecting verses three and four with verses one and two. All right? This is another one of those times when this structure comes out to you. You begin to see what it looks like and it helps explain the verses. So what he's doing is he's going to expand upon, in verses 3 and 4, he's going to expand upon what he said in verses 1 and 2. So if you took, if you had verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 just down the line in your paper like this, if you took verses 3 and 4 and set them beside verse 1 and 2, you'll see how that it's kind of just an expansion of each one. Look at it and you can see it. Look in verse 3. Remember verse 1 talks about no condemnation. And you might ask the question, well, how can there be no condemnation for me? In other words, this main heading we're beginning in verses 3 and 4. How was I forgiven and empowered? Underneath that, a question. How can there be no condemnation for me? Which he answers that in verse 3. Now look at it. So flowing out of verse 1, we see verse 3 explaining more, expanding upon verse 1. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. You see there, condemned, no condemnation, connecting up, explaining how there could be no condemnation. God did what the law couldn't do. In other words, remember chapter 7, Paul's asking the question, is the problem the law? Is, is, Is that the problem? And he says, no, the power is me. I mean, the problem is me. The problem's in me, not in the law. The law is perfect and spiritual and holy and good and righteous. But I, speaking of my flesh, nothing good. So what drags me down is the flesh. And we've talked about that. And I'll let you go back and see the explanations of what that means in previous sermons. But how can there be no condemnation for me? Because God has taken care of it. He did what the law couldn't do. He did that, what the law could never do, because the law wasn't designed to do that. The law wasn't designed to save me. The law wasn't designed to justify me. The law wasn't designed to be a ladder that I climbed to heaven. The first first use, remember, of the law is to show me how far short I fall. That was its function. God did what the law couldn't do. He justified us. He brought us into a status of no condemnation. How did He do that? Look, He did that by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. What does that mean? Well, He certainly didn't become a sinner. He wasn't tainted with sin. But part of the mystery of the Incarnation, He was made liable to all the misery. So He would still get hungry. He would still get tired. He would still be, you know, lay it, lay it all out there. He came, he came to save us. He was made like us in every way, yet without sin. He's a faithful high priest. He understands. He sympathizes with our weakness. He was tempted in all points as are we and made like us in every way, yet without sin. Go read in Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, that's coming, some of that's coming from verse uh, 4.15 in Hebrews. You really want to understand your Old Testament. Hebrews will help you with that. But Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was subject to the miseries that we experience. But He was the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. And He had to be in order to make atonement for sin and do what the rest of this verse says. Look at it. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, comma, expanding upon that, He condemned sin in the flesh. Who condemned sin in the flesh? The Father condemned sin in the flesh. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He, Father, condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it in Jesus. Now, first of all, whose sin was He condemning? Not His, not the Son's sin, but our sin. That Our guilt was laid upon Him. He made Him who knew no sin to be sinned for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He condemned His Son on the cross. 
His wrath, that, that cup of wrath that Jesus sweat drops of blood when he was facing in the garden was poured out upon him. It's what he came to do and submitted himself to the will of the Father to be the Lamb of God who would pay for the sins of his people. Jesus on the cross was condemned. Satisfying justice. Why was he condemned? It was my sin that nailed him there. And your sin and every sin of everyone that was given to him before the foundation of the world. Everyone that through the work of the Spirit would come to faith in him in this life. He was condemned for and paid our penalty to the extent that before he gave up his spirit, he could say, it is finished. To tell us that. Paid in full. No debt remaining. Therefore, no condemnation remaining for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do I know I'm in Christ Jesus? Because you trust in Him. If you have come to the point where you have seen your sin and your need of a Savior, you've been convicted of your sin, you have turned from running your own way to God's way and received Christ as your Savior... If you're trusting in Christ and Christ alone and God has given you a heart that is grieved over sin and wants to be free from it and wants to follow Christ faithfully. If God's working this grace in your heart, then you know you're in Christ. Okay, what if I don't have enough faith? Remember, we've already talked about that. If you have any faith, you have enough faith. Right? Because any faith in the right place in Jesus is all God asks. If anybody in this room has perfect faith, please raise your hand. And if you're not a little child, I'm going to call you a liar. Because <laughs> none of us have perfect faith. We're all in the same club. We struggle. We doubt sometimes. We need somebody to encourage us. But if we have any faith, if pushed to the wall, if we're pushed up against the wall, in what are you trusting to make you right with God? the child of God will say, Christ. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, God did that, and you are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you are, for you is no condemnation, and for you is the power of the work of the Spirit. See, this is why there's no condemnation, because Jesus took it and satisfied justice. But what about new life? What about the light coming on and actually the, the lamp being a light, shining the light the way it's supposed to? Well, look at verse 4. Look what it says that one of the reasons Christ died was not only to bring us into a status of no condemnation, but to grow us in grace and make us like Himself. Look how that's expressed in verse 4. God, Christ died, yes, to purchase me, to cleanse me, but also to purify me. Look at that little, little phrase there, in order that. S signaling purpose. This is the reason he did what he did. Look at it. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, and just think in growing measure, like we've seen in our definition of sanctification, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ, what was His purpose in dying? To cleanse a people, to clothe a people, to empower a people for new life. Look, look closely. Look at that. Now, I'll just briefly mention something. There are some who say that what He means here is that, uh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met. Just say, that might be fully met for us. Kind of a forensic declaration, kind of a, a statement that, that, that all of the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled for us. While that is true, that is not what this verse is saying. And it's proved by the end of the verse that talks about how we walk. Look at it. That the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You could say by us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we're going to talk a lot more about what it means to walk according to the Spirit. And there's a lot of confusion in the culture today, and there's a lot of confusion about the evidence of the Spirit in the life today. And we're, we're going to deal with some of that, but just, just not today. 
Holiness is the primary evidence of the Spirit being in your life. Fruit of the Spirit, anyway. Well, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, but look at that. That the righteousness, righteous requirement of the law. And here, as Paul uses the law, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the moral law might be fulfilled in us. Wow. What he's saying is you've been set free from condemnation. If you've been set free to love God, what's the summary of the law? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he is saying, in order that, Christ died in order that, you might be set free to really love God, to truly love God, and to grow in it. See, he not only died to cleanse and to clothe, but to purify and actually enable We've been renewed and enabled to more and more die to sin and live to righteousness, the definition says. And again, all that's proved too by where Paul goes, who walk. What does walk mean in, in the Bible? How we walk is how we live, right? Our walk is our life. We live in accord with the Spirit. And therefore, we walk in fulfillment of the righteous requirements of the moral law. I mean, 1 John, go read, for, I don't have a slide for that, but go read 1 John 5, the beginning of the, of the chapter in 1 John 5, and it defines the love of God for us. This is the love of God, that we could keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, it's our joy, it's our goal, it's what we strive for. We're, not bur- we're burdened by sin if we know God, not our obedience. <laughs> okay? Those who walk by the Spirit will walk in conformity to the commandments that God gave and grow in it. The cross, purchases, the cross purchased for you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's in Ephesians, and you'll have to go read that, 1, 19 and 20. The same power that was exerted to raise Christ from the dead, Paul says, he says in the form of a prayer, he's praying that the church might know that that same power is at work in you. It's not your strength. And listen, to the extent you want to lean on your strength, God will let you see how weak you are until you're going to quit depending on yourself and depend on Him. But see, God doesn't leave us in the stalemate of 725. I'm renewed. I have a new heart, a new spirit. I desire to keep the law, but my flesh drags me down and counsels it out so that I just, I can't. Now, true, as we said in that text, we we won't in this life perfectly obey it, and we need to own up to that fact that we need to grow in grace. But there's more than just a new heart that's been purchased for the Christian. There's a new power. So two saving benefits of, in, of being in Christ. New status, new power. Renewed and enabled. Do, do any other parts of the Bible teach this? And I would tell you, yes, it's all over the place. And if you pack the lunch, we'll go through them all. Please no, preacher. Especially the kids are saying let me just give you a few. Look, what, God, what Paul is saying that Christ has accomplished is exactly what Paul, God promised He would do in the Old Testament. Exactly how He promised He would build His church. Exactly what the new covenant was to look like. And I'll just let you go read that, but if you go read Jeremiah 31, that new covenant is the same law put in our hearts so that we'll walk in it. But look in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. His promise to Israel, this coming new covenant. And listen, as Gentiles, we're grafted into these promises. We'll get there in Romans chapter 11. These are our promises as well because we are part of that one new man. We've been grafted into that promise and grafted into God's people. Grafted. We're common, we're common citizens of the commonwealth of Israel, Ephesians 1 says. He was talking to Gentiles. I've said before, let the Gentiles in. <laughs> we're in because we're in Christ Jesus. We are the seed of Abraham. But look what God promised in Ezekiel and see if it doesn't line up with what Paul's saying that God has done in Christ Jesus. 
Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Stop. I'm going to renew you. I'm going to bring you into this place of no condemnation where you are renewed. But that's not all He promised. Look in verse 27. Skip on down to verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you. What will the spirit do? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm going to renew and enable you to joyfully obey me. That's what God promised He was going to do in Ezekiel. That's what He did through Christ in His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what Paul is saying He's accomplished for us. Renewal and enablement. God said, this is what the new covenant, this is what the church is going to look like. This is what people look like that I'm at work in. They have a new heart and a new spirit. And they have this, the, that, that means a renew, I'm a new creature, right? Spirit with a little s. New heart, new spirit, and the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit within them that works in them to walk in obedience and grow in it. All right, preacher, but that's Old Testament. As though that meant anything. Um, anyway, Galatians 5, 16 to 18, you see the same apostle teaching the same thing to, in a little different order to the church in Galatia. He's, his purpose for that letter is different than the one in Romans, but he's saying the same thing there. And watch, watch how he walks it out in Galatians 5, 16 to 18. Watch this. But I say, walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? We're going to see as we go forward in Romans and bring these others back in. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Now watch how verse 17 sort of takes us back to 725 and then we move, Romans 725 and we move forward. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. I think that should be a little spirit, a little less there, but anyway, talk about that later. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And if you bring that first verse we read back down underneath that in kind of the same order in Romans. Walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. We've been renewed and we've been empowered. He purchased for us not just renewal, but power for new life to more and more die to sin and live under, under righteousness, our definition said. And this one makes it even clearer. Titus 2, 11 to 14. What does grace do in the life? What is grace meant to do in the life? What does the gospel do in the life? What is God doing in the life that he saves? What will that life look like? Well, Paul tells us, again, same person. Look at this, what it says in, in verses 11 to 14 of chapter 2 of Titus. For the grace of God has appeared. How? Incarnation. Jesus Christ lived for us, died for us, raised for us, reigning for us, gives us salvation as a free gift. And that salvation that He gives includes renewal and enablement. It includes forgiveness and power, however you want to say that. The grace of God has appeared, telling people not to worry about how they live. It's okay, they'll make it to heaven anyway. Is that what real grace does? No, that's cheap grace, fake grace. Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, not just the Jew, but the Gentiles too. Look at verse 12. Look what grace does in the life that really experiences us training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Yes, before we're glorified. <laughs> more and more die to sin, live to righteousness. Growth in grace. Waiting for our blessed hope. What is that? The coming in of Christ. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now watch this, same as Romans, who gave himself for us. Why did he give himself for us? Look at it. Who, Jesus, who gave himself for us. You see this dual purpose here. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Praise God. 
to bring us into that status of no condemnation. But look, what's that next word? And. What Paul says in order that here in verse 4 of chapter 8. He gave himself to redeem us from all sin and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Now watch this last part. Who are zealous for good works. What is a good work? Good works are defined as good by the word of God. Summarized all into one place in the commandments of God. Empowered by the Spirit. Works that work their way out in the life. So notice, real grace trains us to repent of sin. Not just when we come to Christ, but live a life of repentance. It trains us to trust Him and always rest all of our hope, Peter says, in the grace of God to be brought to us at the return of Christ. Right? So all of our hope for being right with God is in God and His grace in Christ. But it doesn't stop there, just like Peter doesn't stop there. Now be holy. Right? Paul says that Jesus died to redeem us and to purify us. We've been renewed and enabled if we're in Jesus. If you're in, if you've, if you've made a profession of faith, if you have maybe even prayed a prayer with a preacher, if you've had that happen in your life and yet you're living in a way that you have no concern really for sin, life's still all about you, main things you having experiences and having fun, you know, yes, I'm going to heaven, but now I'm, you're basically living for the world. That's not real grace. That's not saving grace. That's not what we're seeing in these passages, is it? That Christ died both to cleanse us, yes, and we love that part, right? To cleanse us from our sin and clothe us in His righteousness and accept us in the Beloved so that we're under no condemnation and that we might walk in newness of life. If we're in Christ Jesus, Paul told us in summing up in 6.11, we have died to sin and we're alive to God. We've died to sin's reign. We're empowered by His Spirit and we are alive now to walking in His ways. If your sin doesn't grieve you, if you're not mourning over your sin and seeking to be free from it and looking to Christ on a daily basis, just be concerned about that. You might be a Christian who's fallen into a bad place and needs help getting out. But look what grace trains us to do is to pursue godliness. It's to be confident that we've been redeemed and to be zealous for good works. So in Christ Jesus, you've been renewed and enabled. So just go away believing this. I want you to go home and believe both sides of this. Embrace justification and sanctification. Look to God and depend upon His strength to work in you. But Paul wants us to know two things. First, our new status. That's this Romans 8, 1 to 4. Our new status is no condemnation. We're justified. You have a new status if you're in Jesus Christ. And it is justified, declared righteous, no condemnation, accepted in the beloved. You are righteous. Your record before the judgment bar of God reads as righteous because Christ's righteousness has been credited to you. Your sin washed away, His righteousness credited to you. You've been adopted into the family of God, but you also, not only just a new status, you have a new power, the Holy Spirit. Jesus died to also purify a people to save a people who would walk joyfully according to His commandments. Jesus' commandments are no different than the Father's commandments, okay? There's not these two sets of law. One is the commandments of God and one's the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the commandments of God. You read Matthew 5 and other places. That's why 1 John says this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So we're not, we're not accepted because we keep His commandments, but if He has saved us and renewed us, He'll put that in us and work it out of us that we'll have a, a desire to keep his, his, his commandments. But believe that you not only have a new status, you have a new power. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. 
There's no such thing, and we'll see that later in chapter 8, there's no such thing as a Christian that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Okay? From the moment you came to faith, you had the Holy Spirit. Okay? Jesus, Paul is saying, this Spirit is at work in you that the righteous requirement of the law be filled in you. Notice, walking according to the Spirit. Nowhere instructs us on how to get the Holy Spirit. Okay? You have a new power, Christian. The Holy Spirit's alive at you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. If you know Jesus. This is you. If you're in Christ Jesus. Listen to me. I'm going to change it just a little bit. No condemnation and no excuses. Now, we will never walk in perfect righteousness, but we never have an excuse for our sin because the grace is training us against it. The power of spirit is empowering us against it that we might walk in joyful righteousness. So in Christ Jesus, you have no condemnation. Hallelujah. And you have no excuses. What you need is to walk in the spirit, and we'll talk about more about that later. But the, it says this, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law, the power of the spirit of life has set you free from the power of sin and death. Are you rejoicing in his grace this morning? Rejoicing in his grace to forgive you. But are you also relying upon his grace, his power to transform you? Rejoice and rely. Trust in trust if you want it that way. Rejoice in free grace that is yours. Rejoice in power that is yours. Believe the whole gospel. The whole application Paul is giving us for why Christ died. Rejoice in His grace and rely on His power that you might joyfully obey and grow in it. His standard, which is His law. See, this is amazing grace. This is what grace looks like. There is no such thing as a grace of God that gives you justification but doesn't really worry about sanctification or growth in grace. Are you trusting? Are you rejoicing? And are you growing? Remember, no condemnation, no excuses. Because there's a new power at work in you who God said He sent His Spirit. Remember Ezekiel? Who will cause us to walk in His ways, to grow in it. Go back to where I started. Christian, you are the light of the world. And because Jesus died to provide both forgiveness and power, you can both sing about and live as light in the world. You can truly, kids can sing it in your house. and know everybody can sing it. This little light of mine. He's the big light, we the little light, right? We reflect His light. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine by trusting Him and, and, and rejoicing in His gospel and being willing to tell others about this marvelous grace and salvation that is His. But what else did Jesus say? Let your light so shine that they may hear your words and glorify your Father in heaven. No, He said, that they may see your good work. And glorify your Father in heaven. So kids, be the kind of kids the Bible tells you to be because you're trusting in Jesus. Wives, be the kind of wives Christ tells you to be because you're trusting in Jesus. No matter what your husband's doing, you can never blame disobeying Christ on whatever your husband's doing. Husbands, I'm not letting you off the hook. Be the kind of husbands that Christ calls you to be because you're trusting Jesus. There's no I would, have if, I would have if she had. We love to make excuses, don't we? You look to Jesus and you be what He's calling you to be. He has forgiven you and empowered you to be that. I'm going to get on somebody else. Grandparents, be the kind of grandparents God commands you to be. Quit giving them grandkids cheap grace that their parents don't give them. 
Help them enforce what the rules of the house are. Sometimes as kids, we want, we, want to, we want to go to granddad's house so we can get away with everything. Or grandma's house. And what, what is the point here? Be who God's called you to be. Because you have no excuses to not be that. Because you have been forgiven and empowered to follow Jesus and to grow in it. No, we won't be perfect in this life, but that's not an excuse either. Don't lean into that. Well, I just never will be perfect. No, that's not quite. Look to Christ. And look at His glorious, wonderful commands that are for our good and our joy. And depend upon the Holy Spirit and pray into walking that way. Grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. May both our lips and our lives glorify by God by shining His light as we let our little light shine. To live is Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank You for the glorious news of no condemnation. Lord Jesus, thank You for taking our guilt upon Yourself and paying that debt fully so that we are cleansed from all our sin, that we are pardoned for every sin when the Spirit works faith in us that we trust in you alone. But help us not to forget that we also have a new power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have a new heart that loves your law now, Psalm 119 and other, other texts. We have a power to match that that we might grow in repenting from everything that doesn't look like Christ and grow in walking in every way that does look like Christ. Help us, Lord, to have this kind of grace, which is the only true grace, which is truly amazing, that you will take a wretch and justify them by faith in Jesus so that there's no condemnation. And empower them by your spirit that they can be growth and grace. That we might more and more look like Jesus. Thank you, Father, for no condemnation. Thank you for new power. Thank you for no excuses. Help us to love and honor <clears throat> and follow you. And walk in your ways with joy. That we might be that kind of light around the people that know us. People who not only talk of your grace, but live in your grace and look more and more and more like Jesus. Lord, convert those who don't know you, we pray, and sanctify those who do, that we all might have joy and hope and purpose and power in you, living for your glory, knowing that's our good. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray.